Today's reading, today's reading is Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 15. Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debtors as we have forgiven them. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We have forgiven others, but if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Well, today on Mother's Day, we're going to talk about something that all mothers know well. Prayer. Because all mothers pray. Now, sometimes they're prayers for invigoration. You know, strength, Lord. Maybe prayers for protection. Save, Lord. Or prayers for constitution. Heal, Lord. Or maybe just a prayer of exasperation. Dear Lord. Or prayers of desperation. Oh, Lord. Or maybe it's a prayer for hibernation. Sleep, Lord. But so often they're just prayers for provision. Give us this day, Lord. Food, energy, patience, grace. To be a mother is to pray. And in that vein, today on Mother's Day, I'd actually like us to begin by praying together for and with the mothers who are amongst us. So I'm going to lead... And you'll see a prayer on the screen, and you join me in the sections that are labeled all. And with that, let's pray together with and for the mothers amongst us. All who gather here today, our sons or daughters, we praise God for the women who gave us. For mothers, brave, strong, compassionate, full of wisdom and grace. For mothers, vulnerable, worried, frustrated, and hurry. For relationships that are strained and no longer a source of joy. For mothers who have died, that live no longer with us, but whose light shines in our hearts and memories. For mothers who grieve, who have lost children, born or unborn. For those who are struggling to raise children who are tired and weary. Offering real help in hard times. For those who are preparing emptier nets. And mourn with you. And hope their wings are strong as their roots are deep. For stepmothers navigating the pitfalls and joys of creating a new family. For grandmothers who are doing the hard work of raising children again, we pray the caregivers have those who care for them. For those who are waiting and sometimes struggling with the biological process to bring life. For those who are waiting for adoptive processes to be fulfilled, we wait eagerly with you and offer you our hands to hold. For women who do not have children, but instead teach, lead, care for and guide the children of others. For the mothers, sisters, daughters in our midst and around the world, 
For the women who created the image of God give not just life, but abundant life. For women fighting, struggling, and sweating for the sake of others. For women caring, compassionate, and crying with the heart of Christ. For caregivers, prophets, preachers, teachers, leaders, shepherds, and healers. For moms in their wide variety and many forms. We give God thanks and praise. Amen. Amen. Now, in our tradition, we're not used to praying pre-written prayers like that. You know, in fact, in many ways, our culture causes us to struggle with a pre-written prayer like that, or maybe even with the pre-written prayer that Jesus offers us today. Because, you see, we live in a culture of expressive individualism. We naturally assume that the highest and most important ideal when we come in prayer is that it should be an authentic self-expression. There's a sense of how could something that's pre-written or given to us be an authentic expression of what I feel right now? Or, Or how could words written by someone else be my authentic self-expression in prayer. You know, church, we, we hold unexamined beliefs. We hold the unexamined belief that what's most important to God in prayer is me. My authenticity. My individual self-expression. But what we find in today's passage and in the prayer that Jesus teaches us, His disciples, is that if you approach prayer as though it's all about you, then, friends, you haven't got a prayer. If you approach prayer as though it's all about you and your expression, then you haven't got a prayer. You know, when we say someone hasn't gotten a prayer, it means that it's impossible. It's impossible for them to succeed in what they're trying to do. And and the prayer that Jesus teaches today is really the antithesis. It's the antidote to our sickness of individual self-seeking and self-expression. Because this prayer kind of critiques and it seeks to replace our self-focused striving. Jesus gives direction to all of us who don't have a prayer by giving us a prayer today. And while this prayer is traditionally referred to as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, it would be better to consider this as the Disciples' Prayer. It would be better to consider this as the Disciples' Prayer because it was given to us, His disciples, we who just don't have a prayer. And so Jesus gave us one. And maybe it's because I'm talking about prayer this morning. And maybe, you know, again, Rich and I didn't coordinate. He he gave us four Ps about temptation. All of my points about prayer this morning actually start with the letter P as well. So I guess that's, you know, I mean, I don't know. It seems preposterous to me, but uh, that didn't go over well. I'll stick to the script. But friends, what we find about prayer, first and foremost, what we find about the prayer that Jesus gives to those of us that don't have a prayer at all. First of all, the prayer that Jeff just read for us, that Jesus has given to us, friends, it's pure gospel. This prayer is pure gospel. Because think about this, friends, truly, if prayer is really just about me, if prayer is about my authentic self-expression, if prayer, if it's all up to me to get it right, if it's all up to me to produce the words, if it's all up to me to be genuine, then friends, we are truly without a prayer. Because that means that prayer is up to you and about you and from you completely. But we find that Jesus in giving us words and wisdom in today's prayer 
Friends, this is pure gospel. It's an act of grace for those of us that don't have a prayer because suddenly it doesn't depend upon me. It doesn't depend upon me. I can't figure out the right words. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. How do I know it's enough? How do I know it's right? Here's here's the way. It's pure grace. Friends, you know, sometimes we kind of think that, that, that prayers like this are restricting us, but this is to free us. It frees us from having to do and produce ourselves. It's pure gospel. And more than that, the content of this is pure gospel. Early church father Tertullian called this prayer a summary of the gospel. This prayer from beginning to end in giving it to us and in its content is gospel. It is good news. It is full of grace. Theologian J.I. Packer said of the prayer, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's nowhere clearer than here. Friends, this prayer is the gospel. It's good news for us. It's given to us so that we can pray, so that we can understand. These are our marching orders. This is our battle cry. We need not create our own prayers. We need to embrace the prayer that Jesus has for us. We need to embrace the prayer that Jesus has for us because we are people who just don't have a prayer. Now, before we look at the words of this prayer, I want us to understand another P, the purpose. The purpose of this prayer. Friends, this prayer, the purpose of it is not necessarily a prescription, but a pattern. I told you there's a lot of P's. It's not necessarily a prescription, but a pattern. Now, a prescription is literally prescribed, pre-written, to be repeated. But just before this prayer, in a passage we're going to look at next week, in Matthew 6-7, Jesus says, When you pray, don't keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. And the Greek word, as we're going to talk about next week here for empty phrases, literally means to repeat the same words over and over and over again without thinking about them. To babble. To just babble on. So the very last thing Jesus is offering us and giving us this prayer are some rote words for empty or mindless repetition. The prayer is not as much prescription. You don't have to pray it word for word as much as it's pattern. In fact, Martin Luther said, I don't want you to recite all the words in your prayer. That would make it nothing but idle chatter and prattle. Rather, I want your heart to be stirred and guided concerning the thoughts which ought to be comprehended by the Lord's Prayer. Again, it's a pattern to give us prayer. Again, there's nothing wrong, as we're going to actually talk about, and we're going to hear Luther say later, with praying these words, word for word, but what we don't want them to become is empty and rote repetition. So again, this is a pattern that tells us the heart priorities of prayer. These are the priorities of Jesus given to us, people who don't have a prayer. So this, this prayer here sets for us the priorities, the pattern of prayer. And, and as a note, there is much more to say about the nature of prayer itself, which, like I just mentioned, we're going to talk about next week some. Because next week, we're going to see that the Lord's Prayer comes in the midst of a bigger section here in chapter 6. And so next week, we'll look at the overall arc of the bigger section. This week, we're zooming in just on the Lord's Prayer Itself, And we'll talk a little bit more about the nature of prayer. But today we're just going to talk about the content and the purpose of the Lord's Prayer. And, and what we learn here 
about our priorities and the pattern of prayer. So what do we learn? What do we learn? Another P. First, friends, prayer is personal. Prayer is personal. You know, one of the things that, that I just don't understand, and I see this especially on social media, somebody, somebody has a struggle and they mention their struggle on Facebook. Oh, I'm really struggling. And then somebody will write back, hey, I'm sending energy into the universe for you. What does that mean? How do you send energy into the universe for someone? It's some kind of secular statement of prayer. But friends, prayer is not just sending energy into the universe. It's not about manipulating an impersonal force. It's not about speaking a correct or even a magical formula. Prayer is personal. You see, prayer is not about an impersonal force. Prayer, we find here in Jesus' words, is about a personal God. And we know this because Jesus opens up the prayer with the word Father. He opens up with the word Father. And friends, while the Jewish people might have prayed to a personal God, no one in in Jesus' day would have dared pray with the audacious intimacy of Jesus. No one in Jesus' day would have dared call Almighty God Father, or even worse, Daddy. And yet that's what we find Jesus did. In Mark 14.36, it says Jesus called God Abba, Father. Abba was an Aramaic word, which was the equivalent of Daddy. It is what a little child would have cried out for her father. Abba, Daddy. And Jesus invites us to pray, Father, Abba, Daddy, hear my prayers. Friends, we've been given a God who is, we have a God who is intimate and we're given a spirit that allows us to cry out now with the intimacy of a child to his or her father. Paul writes in Romans 8.15, You received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Friends, prayer is personal. If God is Father, then that means that you and I, we who follow Jesus Christ, we are sons and daughters. So prayer, ultimately, is not about getting things. Prayer is about relationship with Dad. It is about relationship with God, our Father. So prayer reorients and reestablishes the right relationship that we should have. We come to God not as some impersonal force to be manipulated or used or received from. We come not to a distant and impersonal God. We come to a personal God whom we call Father. And as such, when we come, friends, how do we come? We don't come to to plead or to beg or to grovel or to manipulate. We don't come needing competency or authentic words. We come in prayer as children to a Father who already knows us and who knows our name and who loves us and who invites us to come. And friends, just as conversation serves to affirm and strengthen the relationship we have with our earthly fathers and earthly mothers, prayer should increase the intimacy that we have with our Heavenly Father. Friends, how do you approach prayer? Are you crying out to a distant and an untouchable God? Are you fearful that your words might not be enough, that they might not be exact enough or your expression authentic enough? 
Or do you come to a Father? A Father who loves you, who knows your name, who knows your needs, and who invites you to come. Friends, prayer is personal. And secondly, in contrast to our own authentic individual self-expression that we think prayer has to be, Jesus says, prayer is not just about you. In fact, prayer is plural. There's another P for you. Prayer is plural because the first two words of the prayer are our Father. Do you notice it's not my Father? Our Father. There was an unknown composer who wrote a simple poem and it says, You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for one another. And when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea. From the beginning to the end of it, it doesn't once say me. Friends, it's no accident that the pattern of prayer that Jesus gave is unmistakably plural. Because prayer breaks us from our individualistic, self-centered, self-seeking, and it reminds us we're part of a larger community. Friends, even when we pray this prayer alone, it reminds us that we're never alone. Because when I pray, Our Father, give us this day our daily bread, I'm not just praying for me, I'm praying for us. I'm united to a family. Because we all share. God is our Father. So prayer is plural. So we've seen this prayer is pure gospel. It's a pattern for us. Prayer is personal. It's plural. And next, Jesus goes on to give us a purpose. Look at verses 9 and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, hallowed is not a word that we use every day. Hallowed literally means to honor as holy, to set apart from everything else, to set apart above everything else. Again, theologian Martin Luther explains this in his small catechism. He says, to be sure, God's name is holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it might become holy for us. You know, there's a difference between saying that something is holy and setting it apart in your life and in your heart as holy. And this prayer is that we might in our heart and our lives set apart God and His purposes and His name as holy. It's a reordering, a reorienting of our whole lives that His name might become the highest thing. His kingdom might become our highest concern. That He might be set apart from and above everything else, that He might be hallowed and lifted high above every other concern. This is not about about, about hallowing my authentic self-expression or hallowing my need. This is about hallowing Him and His name and His kingdom. And friends, as His name is hallowed, His kingdom becomes our purpose. You see, friends, our prayers should not be that God might bless what we are doing. Our prayers should be that we might join with what God is doing. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And am I clicking? Is that me? Uh, 
friends, our prayers are about His kingdom. It reorients us. Not, don't bless my little kingdom. Make me part of yours. It was interesting. A British visitor to the U.S. said of United States churches, he said, you Americans are so concerned about being happy. As if our kingdoms were the focal point of God's designs rather than God's kingdom being the focal point of ours. Ouch. But how true it is. Friends, this prayer invites us into God's priorities. It diverts us away from building our little sandcastle kingdoms and our little petty concerns that we might babble on and on about in prayer. And he says, no, focus on my kingdom come, my will be done. It's like we sang this morning, for this cause I live, for this cause I die. I surrender all for the cause of Christ. For your name to be hallowed, for your kingdom come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer should not be seek our little kingdoms. We should be saying, let us join in the building of your kingdom so that as we say at the end of that song, every time and it punches me in the gut, I pray it's said about my life that I lived more to build your name than mine. Friends, that's right from the Lord's Prayer. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. May our lives be spent and may it be said of us that we lived more to build His name and His kingdom than ours. So friends, this prayer is pure gospel. It gives us a pattern. It reminds us that prayer is personal. It's plural. It transforms our purpose. And then we find three requests. Three requests here. Which again, if you're following along, playing along at home, provision, pardon, and protection. Provision, pardon, and protection. Matthew 6.11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, when Jesus' original hearers heard that prayer, give us this day our daily bread, they, as again, Torah observant Jews, they who were literate in the Old Testament Scriptures would have immediately thought, of Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my Lord. Because you see, friends, with too much, we become prideful and complacent and we forget God. But with too little, we might be tempted to sin and to grasp at and to unrightly take, unrighteously take what it is that we think we need. So rather than either extreme, the heart rightly related to God in prayer trusts Him for the provision of daily bread. You see, the prayer leads us back to a place of trust, friends. It leads us to a place of trust. Is what God provides good? Is what God has provided you enough? You see, we don't need to hoard, and we don't need to steal, and we certainly need not forget from where all things come. Friends, do you trust what He provides? Is it enough? Even when it's not what you asked for, even when it's not what you wanted, do you trust that the daily bread that God's provided you with is good? And according to His wisdom, 
and given in his love. Is God's provision good? And as has already been noted, notice that it's a prayer for our daily bread. Not just mine, but our. I can't ask for my daily bread without concerning myself that others receive their daily bread as well. So, church, maybe, maybe in fact, if God in His goodness seems to have given you more than your allotment for daily bread, maybe it's because He's equipping you to be the answer for somebody else's prayer for daily bread. Maybe God has blessed you in abundance because through you, He's going to answer somebody else's prayer for daily bread. So maybe He did give you more, but He didn't give it to you for you. He gave you more than what you need for your daily bread so that somebody else can have their daily bread. Because I can't just pray for mine without being concerned for yours. Give us this day our daily bread. And church, the heart rightly related to God trusts not only His provision of daily bread, but also His pardon. Hearts that are rightly related to God in prayer are forgiving hearts because they are hearts that know they are forgiven. As Matthew 6.12, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Now Jesus knew this was a hard pill to swallow then and now. So he gives a little bit more commentary at the end of the prayer, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. See, Jesus says that whether or not we're able to forgive others is an indication. It's an indication of whether or not we understand grace. Whether or not we understand that we ourselves have received forgiveness. Later on, we're going to come in Matthew to Matthew 18, where Jesus is going to tell a parable about a man who was so incredibly in debt and then shown mercy. He had a debt that was equivalent to about 20 years of wages. And the king canceled it. And that man walked away forgiven. And that same day in the parable, he came upon another servant who owed him a debt of about one day's wages. And he refused to forgive that debt. And the punchline of the parable in Matthew 18.33, And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And Jesus asks that same question. Of us today. He asks it in this prayer. Friends, just as I can't pray for my daily bread without praying for yours, I can't pray for my forgiveness without praying for yours. I can't recognize that I've received mercy without being one who also gives mercy. I can't recognize that there's nothing I could do to earn his forgiveness and then ask you to earn my forgiveness. Jesus says whether or not we're able to forgive others is an indication of whether or not our hearts understand and are rightly related to God. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And finally, the heart rightly related to God trusts His provision. It trusts His pardon, but also trusts His protection. Matthew 6.13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Again, I've noted before, friends, this doesn't say lead us not into sin. This says, lead us not to the place where I'd even be tempted to sin. Because too often, we flirt with temptation. Oh, that's not really sinning. You know, we kind of ask, how far is too far? How far can I go without actually crossing the line and sinning? It's kind of the game of bare minimum obedience. It's like dancing on the edge of a chasm, ready to fall over at any time. But this prayer says, Lord, protect me. Keep me so far from the place where I'd even be tempted to sin. Friends, our temptations are often related to what we just prayed for, God's provision. You know, too often, I mean, from the very beginning of human history, with the fruit in the garden, the temptation is to believe that to be happy, we need more than what God has given. Or we need it sooner than God giving it to us. We need something more than what God has allowed. I need more financially. I need more relationally. I need something different socially. I need more sexually. And temptation says what God's provided is not enough, so I'm tempted to grasp that which I should not, to grasp it in a way and in a time that is not to be grasped. We are tempted to believe that what God has provided is just not enough. So I impatiently and imprudently grasp at what is not mine to take. And the prayer of the heart rightly belonging to God is, God, protect me from that. Protect me from believing that what comes from your hands is not good. Protect me from believing that your timing is not perfect. Protect me from grasping at that place where I'm even tempted to grasp at those things at which I should not grasp. Help me to rest in your provision, knowing that it's not just sufficient, that it is good. Friends, when's your heart tempted? When is your heart tempted to believe that God's provision is just not enough? This prayer is pure grace. It gives us a pattern. It's personal. It's plural. It transforms our purpose. The prayer looks to God for provision, pardon, and protection. And traditionally, This prayer ends with praise. Traditionally, it ends with praise because as we prayed this morning, we say, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But friends, the earliest manuscripts tell us that was not original to the prayer. That was added by scribes at some time later on in the process. So where did it come from? Well, it probably came biblically. It most likely was an adaptation of 1 Chronicles 29.11, which says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. Sound familiar? The greatness, the power, and the glory, and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And so that's likely where that final praise came from, from another prayer in the Old Testament. And while these words were not part of Jesus' original, Friends, it's natural that prayer should lead us to praise. Friends, prayer should lead us to praise because when you hallow and hold His name above all, when you commit to His kingdom and His will, when you recognize that He alone can provide pardon and protect, what else are you going to do but praise? Prayer leads us to praise. And friends, I want to conclude this examination of the Lord's Prayer with one final piece. Because saying all of this, it might make you nervous. You might make you intimidated. 
But I want you to know, prayer is not about perfection. Prayer is not about perfection. Yes, in today's message, Jesus offers us a pattern and priorities for we who haven't got a prayer. However, friends, prayer is ultimately about that relationship. It's about the heart. In fact, I think it was just a couple weeks ago, Brian Vandenbrink was up here praying, and he quoted for us from John Bunyan. John Bunyan said, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Prayer is about a heart after God. It's not about perfection of our words or our method. It's about a heart after God. If you pray word for word the prayer that Jesus gave us and you do it from the heart, great. If you pray from your heart simply according to the pattern of these words, great. If you have a heart after Him but your words utterly fail you, great. That's still prayer. Prayer is not about perfect words. It's about a passionate heart after God. Again, as theologian Martin Luther wrote about the Lord's Prayer, he said, I'm convinced that when a Christian rightly prays the Lord's Prayer at any time or uses any portion of it as he may desire, his praying is more than adequate. What is important for good prayer is not many words, but rather a turning to God frequently and with heartfelt longing. Friends, we learn that those of us, we who don't have a prayer, we're not left without words. We who haven't got a prayer are given words by Jesus, but more than that, by His Spirit, are given a heart after Jesus. A heart from which these words, we desire to pray them. A heart which is shaped by and shaped into these words. Church, this prayer is gospel. It affirms our identity is in Jesus Christ. In His coming kingdom. It reminds us who we belong to. It reminds us who, who, who we're committed to. And it reminds us where we're headed. Friends, if you are here today, if you are here today visiting with us, watching, if you're here today without a prayer, then maybe you're ready to join us in this prayer. The prayer of the kingdom of Jesus who taught us. And church, we who were a people without a prayer, let us embrace and let this become our prayer that His kingdom might come, that His will might be done, that His name might be hallowed above all. For His is the kingdom and the glory and the power now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father, teach us to pray. Give us hearts after You. Even when our words fail us, give us hearts after Your heart. And shape our hearts by the words of this prayer. Shape us evermore to resemble Your heart. Help us to love as You love. Help us to follow as You've called. And help us to become like You. For Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.